Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Glasgow Times Sports Podcast, normally recorded in our studio at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre, currently recorded from our volunteers' homes. To keep in touch with us, use our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, which are all at Q and Review. That's C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W. Or get in touch via information at qandreview.com. That's information at C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W dot com. Please like and share our podcast and give us any constructive feedback. Evening Time Sport, June 15. Nick Roger reports on a blow for European Tour Dreamers with qualifying school put on hold. The weight of expectation the hefty burden of a nation's hopes on the shoulders, the fevered clamour of anticipation, the mouth-frothing frenzy of excitement, the inevitable crushing anticlimax. And that's just the brow-mopping fervour of emotion that is generated as this scribe winkles out the Tuesday column. The build-up to Scotland's opening Euro 2020 game, meanwhile, was marginally more delirious with the kind of impassioned outpourings that just about whipped up a tidal surge in the River Clyde. With children across this enraptured land allowed to watch yesterday's hoopla at Hamden during class time, I have heard pupils often get to skip lessons to absorb these weekly wafflings, presumably as a salutary reminder to stick in at school or face the sombre prospect of a lifetime condemned to typing incoherent ramblings, gobbledygook and mumbo-jumbo. On the subject of school-related thingamabobs, the news that the European Tours qualifying school will not be going ahead again this season has caused considerable consternation among those on the lower rungs of the professional ladder. The update seemed to be dropped in rather quietly, like a clandestine exchange of instructions being passed between two passing Secret Service agents in a dimly lit side street. Go on the tour's website, for instance, and there's a brief summary that says, the qualifying school did not take place in 2020 and will not take place in 2021 either. With the coronavirus spanner still well and truly lodged in all manner of works, the tour has decided to create a safety net for its membership, meaning nobody will lose their status from the top table at the end of the season. Promotion will still be on offer from the Challenge Tour, but to create that aforementioned safety net, the qualifying school has been sacrificed again. Given the logistical guddles that COVID-19 has created in competitive sport, and the expense of bio-bubbles, testing, and the general rigmarole that needs to be put in place to keep things going, you can understand the decision. The world, after all, is still trying to muddle through an unprecedented, constantly changing and endlessly complex period of tumult and tragedy. There's no simple one-size-fits-all remedy, and you'll never please everybody. For those trying to make headway in their chosen profession, though, the news that there will be another year without the chance of progression is about as welcome as an afternoon spent doing lateral flow tests. The qualifying school has always been one of the great come-all-ye-democratic processes which offers hope and opportunity to varied walks of golfing life, no matter how fanciful some of those ambitions may be. Take that away, and you take away much of what keeps driving players on. Connor O'Neill whose dad and uncle both took their own lives last year 
during a period of unimaginable anguish for the Glasgow man and his family, is well aware that there are far, far more important things than golf, but he still conceded that the scrapping of the qualifying school was demoralising for those chipping away at the coalface of the third tier of the professional scene. O'Neill won his first PGA Euro Pro Tour title last Friday on a circuit that was wiped out in 2020. He is now on course for a move up to the second tier challenge tour through the Euro Pro Order of Merit, but the qualifying school always offered an alternative route and an enticing possibility of fast tracking yourself to the top. In this game you can't afford to hang about, and simply being able to afford hanging about financially when schedules in the lower reaches have been decimated is no mean feat. Those who don't earn promotion from a third tier tour could always try the Q school route to at least gain a step up. By making the cut in the sixth round final, for example, you are guaranteed a challenge tour ranking. Even getting to that point, there is a four round first stage and a four round second stage to negotiate can be the kind of arduous task that would have had Cannibal turning to his legions and saying, saw this boys, we'll just head back. But where there's a will, there's a way. For many at the moment though, there's now not a way, unfortunately. The latest South African star, Garrick Hegel, won on the PGA Tour on Sunday night as he continued a rocketing rise that would send the gadgets and gizmos at Cape Canaveral haywire. A couple of years ago he finished down in 64th in the qualifying school final, but still gained a challenge tour exemption. The following year he won a dual ranking event on that circuit to propel himself onto the main European tour, and this year he won twice in the space of a fortnight. Now the 22-year-old has conquered on the PGA Tour in just his second start, and he's 39th on the world rankings. Not everybody who goes through the qualifying school process is as supremely talented as Hegel, of course, but making the grade so spectacularly with the opportunities it initially gave him is another inspiring tale. Getting on the tour is hard enough at the best of times. For countless hopefuls and dreamers, it's even harder now, says Nick the Roger. Evening time sport, June 15. Rangers versus Celtic fixture dates released as Ibrox hosts opener. Report by Mark Hendry. Rangers will host Celtic in the first derby day of the coming season. Four fixtures in. The Premiership fixtures were announced this morning, ahead of the new campaign. Poste Coco will get his first taste of derby day on Saturday, August 28 at Ibrox. Celtic will then play host to their rivals in the New Year derby on January 2. The Champions Rangers, meanwhile, kick-start their efforts to retain the title at home to Livingston on the opening day on July 31 in a 1.30pm kick-off. Celtic opened their season with a tough start away to newly promoted Hearts the following evening in an 8pm kick-off. Dundee just promoted through the playoffs, face St Myrna in their opener, while Ross County vs St Johnston, Aberdeen vs Dundee United and Motherwell vs Hibs make up the rest of the opening fixtures. Some matches are yet to be confirmed for Sky Sports, so there will likely be changes made throughout the season. Evening Time Sport June 15 underperforming Edinburgh in need of overhaul after taking a step backwards. 
Report by Stuart Bathgate. Edinburgh's season ended on a modest high note at the weekend as they fought back to draw with Scarlets, but their campaign as a whole has been characterised by underperformance and inconsistency. Like Glasgow, they were hard hit by the absence of their internationals for a long stretch in the autumn as well as in spring. Unlike Glasgow, they never really recovered from those spells to put together a run of games that gave hope for the future. They finished fifth out of seven in Pro 14 Conference B, thus failing to qualify for the Champions Cup and ended up ninth out of 12 in the Rainbow Cup. After three seasons of undeniable progress under Richard Cockerell, this year has seen the team regress. There have been signs of the old stagnation and lack of direction that were once so typical of the side, giving the impression that this is a squad badly in need of an overhaul. Highlight A couple of isolated performances served as welcome reminders that Edinburgh at their best can still take on the battling underdogs mentality that has served them so well under Cockerell. The 16-15 win at Sale in the Champions Cup was a good example of that, as it had been earmarked as a must-win game following the opening round defeat by La Rochelle. But the prime illustration of Edinburgh at their best this season has to be the 15-14 Pro 14 win over Connaught. Victories in Galway are rarely easy to come by, and this one was only achieved at the death when Nathan Chamberlain touched down, then added the conversion. Low point. The 56-3 defeat by racing 92 in the Champions Cups at last 16 in April was a sobering reminder of the gulf that separates Cockrell's side from the best teams on the continent. The coach made an adventurous selection by playing at Blair Kinghorn at Standoff instead of Jaco van der Valt, reasoning that confrontation not containment was the best way of taking on the Parisians. But once racing got into their stride, there was simply no stopping them. They were too good for us and we got what he, we deserved, he accepted. Biggest disappointment. The season as a whole, quite simply. Unlike at the Warriors, where Leon Nakarawa was conspicuous by his lack of a decent contribution, none of Edinburgh's key players stood out because of a loss of form or application. Indeed, some of these players were restricted to just a handful of appearances because of test duties. Breakthrough players. At 23, Jamie Hodgson has emerged as a combative and highly reliable lock forward. A former Scotland under 20 cap, he could make his full debut for the national side this summer. Similarly, back three player Jack Blaine, now 21, is poised to make that step up, having impressed whether at fullback or on the wing. And although 24-year-old Luke Crosby arguably broke through a couple of seasons ago, there is little doubt that the absence of some of the team's senior back row forwards has allowed him to emerge as a pivotal member of the squad, and as another who is in the running to make his Scotland debut next month against either Romania or Georgia. Best Signing Standoff Nathan Chamberlain enjoyed a couple of promising outings, while Boan Venter has proved to be solid backup for Pierre Schumann at loose head and should grow in importance once his fellow South African qualifies for Scotland this summer. But the key piece of business as far as next season is concerned has to be the signing of Ben Velacott, 
Edinburgh need an injection of dynamism and drive, and the wasp scrum half could be just the man to provide it. Room for improvement. Any team that can turn out a pack, including Schumann, Stuart McAnally, Grant Kilchrist, Jamie Ritchie and Hamish Watson, among others, still has a lot going for it. And when Edinburgh are at full strength next season, we can expect the forwards to return to their old dominant ways. Behind the scrum, however, there are question marks everywhere. The loss of Duan van der Merwe to Worcester has deprived Cockerell of his biggest attacking weapon. The coach has yet to find a winning blend in midfield, and there are questions about the roles of van der Valt and Kinghorn. Player of the season At the end of such a stop-start campaign, it is impossible to say that one player stood above all of his teammates. Some who made an impact back in the autumn were subsequently injured or faded away, while the best one-off performances were arguably from forwards, such as Jamie Ritchie and Hamish Watson, who were unavailable much of the time. But in a season that was as much a test of mental strength as it was of physical fortitude, performances over the last few games are probably the best indication of who has grown in stature. And in that regard, Mesu Kunavula has to be right up there. The Fijian flanker was only a bit player in his first season in the capital, but his irrepressible attitude has become invaluable this year, says Stuart Bathgate. Evening Time Sport, June 15. Shooting. Jen McIntosh has no regrets about retiring. Report by Susan Egglestaff. The journey from elite athlete to normal person is notoriously tricky. Stories of athletes struggling to make the transition from sport into the wider world are not hard to find and it is not uncommon for ex-athletes to take years to find contentment having retired from elite sport, if they manage it at all. Jen McIntosh, then, is a rare discovery. She is someone who excelled at sport, but who has, in retirement, found something she is equally, if not even more, passionate about. Having been born into a family of shooters, both her parents were internationalists, McIntosh followed in their footsteps, becoming a two-time Olympian and European champion, as well as Scotland's most successful female Commonwealth Games athlete, taking the accolade from her mother. However, throughout her days as an athlete, McIntosh always harboured another dream, to become a writer. A keen reader throughout her childhood, McIntosh began writing while still at school, admitting she made up for any lack of quality with sheer enthusiasm. But then sport took over. As she travelled the world as part of the Great Britain shooting team, bursting onto the scene with two golds and a bronze medal at the 2010 Commonwealth Games, her dream of becoming an author was put on the back burner although she was always used to writing as a distraction tool. The 29-year-old says, I used writing as a way to get away from all the pressure in sport. I find writing really therapeutic, and so after competing, I go back to the hotel and write. Often what I wrote was depressing and dark, but it was a way to get my emotions out. Around the time of the London Olympics, McIntosh started forming the idea of her first book. A long-time fan of fantasy novels, she began developing one of her own and slowly but surely started writing. It was in the early days a labour of love 
and by 2017, Macintosh had completed the first draft, but it was then put aside. Macintosh retired from shooting towards the end of 2018 and decided to take her book to the next stage, going through multiple edits and rewrites which did, she admits, elicit much blood, sweat and tears. It was however worth it, because Macintosh is now celebrating her debut novel being published. Today, Blood of Ravens will be released. It is an adult fantasy novel which is set a hundred years after the Shade King orchestrated the fall of the Graced and follows the journeys of five different characters as they fight to survive. Macintosh, who also did the cover art for the book, admits she still cannot quite believe she has reached this point. She says, Getting the final copy in my hands was amazing. How it's ended up is totally different from how it started because it's been a long time in the making. It's incredible to see it released though. Writing a book is a goal many people set but one few fulfil. However, Macintosh believes it is the skills she developed as an athlete that equipped her to make it to this stage, which so many aspiring authors fail to reach. She says, there's so many skills I took from being an athlete into this, particularly pushing through the times when it's not very enjoyable or you don't have much motivation. Also, being not only receptive to constructive criticism, but actively searching for it. I think that side of it can be quite challenging for people who haven't come from that kind of environment. My sport was a lot about mental skills, so understanding psychology really helped me write better characters. To make the characters believable, I drew a lot on the knowledge I gained from shooting, knowing how the brain works and how people react under pressure. For Macintosh, her days as an elite athlete are in the past, but she is still heavily immersed in shooting. Her day job as performance and pathways manager for Scottish target shooting sees her nurture the next generation of the sport, while her younger sister Sinead is world number one and heads into the Tokyo Olympics as one of Team GB's best medal hopes. For Macintosh, watching her sister hit heights she never quite managed has not, she admits, always been easy, but over time she has come to terms with her own shooting career and realises that everything she has been through has led her to this point. She says, When I retired from shooting, I hadn't achieved everything I'd wanted to. I wanted to win an Olympic medal, and I never quite made it. Sinead started doing really well not long after I retired, and I still had a lot of emotional baggage, so seeing her doing so well was hard. But now I'm at a point where I'm happy with my decision to stop, and so I'm now really pleased for her. I wouldn't change anything with where I am now. Already Macintosh has her sights set on releasing a second book, and she insists this one will not take almost a decade to finish. She hopes for the next book in the series to be released within two years with many more to come after that. Her life now could not be more different from just a few years ago, and despite her many accolades in the world of sport, she is in no doubt as to what her proudest achievement is. She says, It's hard to compare the sport and writing, but I think I'm prouder of this book than anything else. It's been about creating something rather than achieving something, and for me, that's what I value. It is very exciting to think I have so many years of this to look forward to, 
I love writing and think I'll do it for the rest of my life. I can see myself being a wee old lady still writing books. Report by Susan Egglestaff. Evening Time Sport, June 16. Ali Price proud to represent British and Irish Lions, but Scots contingent do not want to just make up numbers. Report by David Barnes. Ali Price recognises that having eight players on this summer's Lions trip to South Africa is a brilliant achievement for Scottish rugby after five successive tours of just two or three individuals being involved. But the scrum half insists that neither he nor any of the other seven Tartan representatives in the squad will be content just making up the numbers. They are there to play in the test team and ultimately win the three-match test series against the Springboks. Stressed the 28-year-old, everyone is happy to be here, but we want to be involved as much as we can. Those three games at the end of the tour are what we're all gunning for. When the games start coming and squads are being selected, everyone is competitive and it is just about taking opportunities when you get them in the games. If Scotland's miserly representation on recent tours has created an inferiority complex, then Gregor Townsend, the national team's head coach, who will be Warren Gatlin's number two this summer, wasted little time in disabusing each individual player of that notion. Added Price, he rang all the Scottish boys shortly after the announcement and congratulated us and told us just to do what we've been doing for Scotland. He said, don't shy away from any opportunity that you are given. I also got a great message from Mike Blair, Scotland's assistant coach, who was one of the scrum halves on the 2009 Lions tour to South Africa. He contacted me before we flew out. He said it was brilliant I had been selected, but to not just be satisfied with that. You're there because you're one of the best three and it's for you to go and make the most of the tour, he said. It is quite a strange situation to come into a squad for the first time, I guess. There are a lot of big personalities or players you have watched playing or played against at international level. But at the same time, it is a brilliant opportunity and we are all here to try and win a place in the test side come the end of the tour. We are going there to win the series. It is a bit daunting, but at the same time, it is an opportunity you don't want to let just pass you by. You want to put your best foot forward and put yourself out there. Price was among the six Scottish Lions who joined 20 other squad members in Jersey on Sunday night, ahead of the start of a 13-day training camp on Monday morning building up to the team's only pre-tour match against Japan at Murrayfield on June 26. Finn Russell and Stuart Hogg are among the 11 players who will not join the group until their club seasons are over. Russell's Racing 92 play La Rochelle in the semi-finals of French Top 14 playoffs on Friday night. And if they win that game, they will play the final on the Friday night before the Japan match. Meanwhile, Hogs Exeter Chiefs have an English Premiership playoff semi-final clash against Sale Sharks this Saturday. And if they win that, then they will play their final on the same day as the Japan game. The absence of so many leading players is not ideal for a squad with limited time to gel before tackling the colossal task of taking on the world champions in their own backyard 
over three consecutive weekends at the end of July and start of August. But Price stressed there will be no waiting around for a full complement before the hard work really begins. The onus is on the players who are in camp at the moment to set a ferocious pace and for the late arrivals to catch up. He said, the first morning was pretty gentle, but in the afternoon it racked up and we had a very tough session to start the week. The boys are in a good place. They have come in off the back of a week or two off training and no games, so everybody is fresh and ready to go. We all know we have to put in the hard yards now. And when we played Japan, and then in the early tour games in South Africa, so that we are ready to go when the tests come around. It's massive for the Scottish players to try and get themselves involved in the 23 for the Japan game up in Edinburgh. Our friends and family will be able to come and watch, albeit from the stands with no meeting and greeting after the game and an opportunity to potentially get a first game under the belt. It's a big carrot at the end of these two weeks. Report by David Barnes Evening Time Sport, June 16 Bolly, Ball and Golly to return to Celtic Report by Mark Hendry Bolly, Ball and Golly will return to Celtic after Istanbul snubbed the chance to sign him permanently. The defender had been on loan in Turkey for the best part of last season, following his controversial COVID-19 protocol sins, where he travelled to Spain without quarantining or telling Celtic he had gone on a jaunt. He then played against Kilmarnock the following weekend. Istanbul confirmed on their website that they would not be exercising their option clause to bring the left back back to the club again on a permanent basis. A statement said, the contract of Bolly Bolingoli, who played successfully for one season under our orange dark blue jersey, has expired. Our club has decided not to exercise the purchase option in the rental agreement with Celtic. We thank Bolly Bolingoli for his efforts for our club and wish him success for the rest of his career. The 25-year-old Bolly played 18 times during his loan spell. Report by Mark Hendry. Evening Times Sport, June 16. Celtic considering re-signing defender Eric Svatjenko. Report by Alison McConnell. Eric Svatjenko, the former Celtic defender, could be set for a return to Glasgow after he emerged as a potential target for the Parkhead side this summer. The FC Midtjylland captain was part of the invincible side under Brendan Rodgers in 2017 before he left the club for a return to his homeland. Since then, he has been integral to Mitchelland, whom he captained during their first ever Champions League group stage campaign. Ironically, Postecoglou's side could be paired against the Danes this morning when the Champions League qualification draw is made with Mitchelland in the hat alongside Celtic. Svatjenko is also believed to be wanted by an English Premier League side, but could yet be part of the rebuild that will take place this summer at Celtic, with the players' experience of the club beneficial, as Postecoglou looks to build a team against the ticking of the clock. Celtic players who are not involved in international football are due to return to the club for the start of pre-season training tomorrow with one eye already on the start of the qualifiers, which take place next month. Svatchenko, who has a buyout clause in the Midtjylland deal, is under contract until 2024. 
The player returned to FC Midtjylland in a loan deal in January 2018 after Dedrick Boyata had emerged to take up a prominent defensive position while Swatchenko recovered from a knee ligament injury sustained in a Champions League qualifier against Rosenberg. The switch became permanent that summer when he made the move back to his homeland in a £1 million move. As well as playing his part in the Invincibles campaign in Rodgers' inaugural season at Celtic, he won two titles, two League Cups and the Scottish Cup. He has been a mainstay in the Mitchelland first team since his return and was involved in a bizarre incident with Rangers manager Stephen Gerrard when Rangers and Midtjylland met in the Europa League qualifiers two years ago. The Ibrox boys had appeared to aim a zip-it gesture at the player after Rangers progressed into the tournament at the Danes' expense. Report by Alison McConnell Evening Time Sport, June 17 Alex McLeish says, Scotland are down, but not out ahead of England clash. I really felt for Steve Clark and his players on Monday afternoon after the defeat to the Czech Republic. I have been there with Scotland. I know how it feels to lose a big game when the nation is behind you. And it is not easy, believe me. The manner of the defeat will hurt them. The second goal was a sucker punch although you have to look at the decision-making and the first was a disappointing one to lose as he gets the header in the area. I remember Jockstein telling us way back that he didn't care how many balls we won on the halfway line, we had to win everyone in the box. That was as pertinent then as it was on Monday. The aftermath of a result like that is very difficult and I can take you back to the Costa Rica game and the opening match of the World Cup in 1990. We were so expected to win that one. Whether it was the same fever pitch as the Czech Republic, I don't know. I think it was though, and there was so much hype around that one. I felt we went into the game with a bit of apprehension, because we had been told by everyone including the press, that it was a walkover. Somehow that impacts on you and you get a bit wary and you think it is a foregone conclusion. I remember when we lost the game that it was bedlam. We got savaged in the press afterwards, but we had to use that for the next game against Sweden. For me, it was a case of, I will show them. I saw my name amongst a few others saying that we should get dropped and people wanted a brand new team played in that second game. You don't always read the papers in times like that, but, personally speaking, I was just so determined to prove everyone wrong. I know a few of the boys had that feeling. For us Scots, that is a trait that we have. We are resilient. We get back up off the floor. We are not always consistent, we don't always win continuously, but we have that fight about us and that gave us the inspiration to go and take the game to Sweden. It was a really good performance in that game and we were deserved winners. We were a very dominant force that day and we showed what we were all about. I know this situation is different because Steve's side are now preparing to face the old enemy and they are a top-class team with world-class players. We are definitely the underdogs, but anything can happen in a Scotland versus England game. I remember going to Wembley in 1981 when Trevor Francis and Peter Wyth were allegedly going to destroy Willie Miller and me. We won that game one nothing. And this week Scotland have to take inspiration from results such as that and not be too disheartened despite the real blow of losing the first fixture 
in Group D. I know that they will be hurting because of the expectations from outside and the demands that they will put on themselves. This is a squad that believed they could qualify before a ball was kicked and we have to remember that it can still happen for us. Scotland went into the Czech game riding on a wave of national optimism and the expectations were really, really high. So I get why there is a bit of deflation around now. The result obviously was not what we wanted, but the performance certainly was not terrible. It could have been better, but it wasn't a complete no-show from Scotland. I remember Gordon Strachan and me having a conversation after we played France many years ago. Eric Cantona was up against us and he was at his imperious best in a game we lost comfortably in Paris. Gordon said to me, Big man, you didn't put a foot wrong tonight, but we still lost three goals. In the press tomorrow, we will all get hammered because we lost the game. That is the nature of the national team. When Scotland don't win, you take a bit of a bruising and you have to bounce back. After the game on Monday, the reaction was that we played not too badly. We had some chances. There were questions about the team selection and people saying, if Stevie had done this or done that. But we are all masters in hindsight. We have all got university degrees in hindsight. And we have got to back Steve in the matches with England and Croatia. He did a great job to get us through to these finals. And we are still a team in a building phase. This squad and this team, we have got a lot of guys playing at a high level, will get better and sometimes you suffer setbacks along the way. You can always look at goals and say, could we have prevented them? The answer to that is always yes. You can look at the finishing and say, should we have scored? And that answer to that is yes. It was undoubtedly a blow to lose the goals and lose the game. In the end, it all comes down to the result and the manager and the players just need to keep their sanity and not get too carried away in the aftermath. Scotland have that resilience about them, but we are now playing one of the favourites for the tournament in England. I would expect Stevie to shuffle the pack at Wembley. It wasn't the start that we wanted at Hamden. Of course it wasn't. The challenge now is to respond in the right manner, and there would be no better way of doing that than by beating the old enemy on their own turf, says Alex McLeish. Evening Times Sport, June 17. Former Rangers star Gattuso leaves managerial role just 23 days after appointment. Report by Craig Bathgate. Italian side Viantina have announced that former Rangers player Gennaro Gattuso will not take up the role of manager, having appointed him just over three weeks ago. The former Napoli head coach had been appointed at the end of May, but was not due to start his tenure until July 1. The defensive midfielder played at Ibrox between 1997 and 1998, before going on to have an illustrious career at AC Milan. But Forantino have announced this will not happen, releasing a club statement this morning. It read, Fiorentina and Reno Gattuso, by mutual agreement, have decided not to follow up on the previous agreements and therefore not to start the next football season together. It is believed that the cause for his decision is due to a dispute over which players the club intended to sign this summer. Gattuso's proposed transfer targets were not as affordable as the players the Italian side were keen to buy, resulting in a conflict between the club and the incoming manager. 
one player widely reported in the Italian press as a possible target of Gattuso's was Porto midfielder Sergio Oliveira, but the fee, which was expected to be over £20 million, did not fit the Fiorentina budget. As a player, Gattuso had a no-nonsense approach to the midfield role, a strong tackler and a defensive presence in the centre of the park. He went on to make 73 appearances for Italy. He infamously clashed with former Scotland forward Joe Jordan when he was coaching at Tottenham. During a heated Champions League tie, Gattuso squared up to the Spurs coach before landing a headbutt on him at the end of the game. As a manager, his aggression did not seem to fade. While in charge of Pisa, a clearly infuriated Gattuso slapped his assistant manager Luigi Rico in the face. He later resigned from the role after a dispute with the club over poor working conditions before rejoining one month later. It is unclear how much of a role Gattuso's hot-headed nature played in his premature departure from Fiorentina, but if his on- and off-field disputes are any indication, it was unlikely to be a polite disagreement. Rudy Garcia is the front-runner for the job, with former Leicester boss Claudia Raniera also in the running. Report by Craig Bathgate Evening Time Sport June 17 Leeds United monitoring Celtic Ace ahead of possible summer switch. Report by Aidan Smith Reports this morning have suggested that Leeds United are monitoring Celtic starlet Leo Heldy. The Yorkshire Evening Post say the Whites are planning a summer swoop for a number of under-23 stars and Helde is on their list of targets. The Norwegians spent last season on loan at Ross County and at the age of just 17, the Hoops have high hopes for his future. Helde moved to Parkhead from Rosenberg two years ago and signed a three-year deal. Former Staggy's boss, John Hughes, hailed him during his time in Dingwall and made a claim that he would go all the way to the English Premier League. He said, I 100% believe he will reach the Premier League. Leo is going to be the next Virgil van Dijk. Trust me on that. Trust me. He has got a lot to learn, but for being a young kid, to come on loan during Covid in this climate, what he's produced has been absolutely fantastic. He has still got a lot of learning, but before he came here, Leeds United were after him. I think he signed an extension to his Celtic contract for this loan to go through. He is going to be a centre-back, but he can play left-back. Everything a loan does for a kid playing competitive football every week, trying to win every week, playing men's football, standing up to it and the disappointments. There have been one or two occasions he could have done better, but that's part of it. It's been a wonderful experience for Leo. He is a good kid, a good professional. At this moment in time, he has picked up a wee virus, but thankfully it's not COVID-19. It has knocked him back a wee bit, but once he's over that, he will challenge again. But I take my hat off to him, and he's got a massive future. Report by Aidan Smith Evening Time Sport June 17 Euro 2020 Scotland midfielder John McGinn has playful dig at Cristiano Ronaldo over Coca-Cola controversy. Scotland midfielder John McGinn used his quick-witted humour to mock the recent trend of removing Coca-Cola bottles from Euro 2020 press conferences. Started by Portugal captain Cristiano Ronaldo, 
The 36-year-old immediately removed the bottles of Coca-Cola from view at the press conference before holding up a bottle of water saying, Drink water. The five times Ballon d'Or winner is a renowned fitness fanatic and was clearly not impressed with the fizzy drink being branded in front of cameras at his press conference. And Scotland's McGinn addressed the issue in his own humorous way when he sat down for his interview. Seeing no bottles of the popular drink on the table, he jokingly asked, Nay, Coke! The comment got a laugh from those in attendance before the Aston Villa star took a drink of water ahead of the interview. Ronaldo's actions started a trend, with Italy's Manuel Locatelli repeating the Portugal talisman, while Francis Paul Pogba removed a bottle of Heineken beer from his conference. McGinn's comedic approach offered a light-hearted view of the debate tackling the issue in typical Scottish fashion. Ronaldo's gesture coincided with the soft drinks company having a $4 billion fall in share prices, with many pointing the finger at the Juventus star for causing it. It is unclear whether the lack of Coca-Cola bottles at McGinn's press conference was intentional and whether the actions of the player have had a negative effect on the brand. Report by Craig Bathgate Evening Times Sport June 21 Scotland striker Dykes on why he flattened English rival Luke Shaw Report by Matthew Lindsay The England players received an early indication of just how fired up their Scottish rivals were in the Euro 2020 match at Wembley on Friday night when Lyndon Dykes flattened Luke Shaw as they challenged for a diagonal Kieran Tierney ball just seconds after kick-off. The foul very much set the tone for what was to come. Steve Clark's side dominated Gareth Southgate's team for long spells of the 90 minutes and earned a point which kept their hopes of reaching the last 16 alive. Dykes, the 6 foot 2 inch striker, felt it was important to show the joint tournament favourites that they meant business from the very start and stressed he will be determined to lay down an early marker in the final Group D match against Croatia at Hamden tomorrow evening. However, the former Queen of the South and Livingston player revealed that Spanish referee Antonio Miguel Mato Lajos had cautioned him about being excessively physical before the game got underway and forced him to say sorry to Shaw after he had clattered the fullback. Asked about the incident, the forward said, No, it wasn't deliberate, but obviously it was just from kick-off. It was up to me to try and win the ball and whoever comes through it as well. I've taken him out and it was a good start. Shaw didn't like it, but he didn't say anything. I think I just caught him with my knee on his leg. The referee actually pulled me beforehand and tried to warn me for my headers and stuff. He pulled me up in the warm-up. He tried to get me to say sorry when I got him. It was a good start. It set the tone for everyone. Dykes knows that winning the high balls that are played up the pitch to him bring those around him into play and is keen to reproduce his England display against Croatia at Hamden tomorrow evening. He said, it helps a little bit. Obviously when you are playing quality players, it helps just to switch it up. If I can make space for Che Adams and the boys in midfield, it helps to stretch the play and make runs. If the ball is there to win, I will do my best to win it. Report by Matthew Lindsay Evening Times Sport, June 21 
Grant Hanley urges Scotland to focus on Croatia and make sure their Wembley heroics don't go to waste. Report by Matthew Lindsay. Grant Hanley has warned his Scotland teammates their heroic draw against England at Wembley cannot be allowed to go to waste and urged them to follow up with a win over Croatia that secures a Euro 2020 last 16 spot. The nation was still on a high yesterday following the outstanding performance that Steve Clark's side produced in their second Group D match against Gareth Southgate's team in London on Friday night. But Hanley, the Norwich City centre-half, who was exceptional in defence and prevented first Harry Kane and then Marcus Rashford from scoring, knows the performance and result will count for nothing if they fail to beat Croatia at Hamden tomorrow night. He is focusing fully on helping Scotland secure a place in the knockout rounds of a major tournament for the first time in their history by beating the Russia 2018 finalists in Glasgow and is refusing to get carried away. He said, we are happy after Friday night, but we've got a quick turnaround now before a massive game on Tuesday. We are happy with a point against England, but we didn't get too low after the Czech Republic and we won't get too high after this. It's important to keep a lid on it and stay level. We need to recover quickly now and get ready to go again. We are up against a top side on Tuesday and obviously we need a result. Of course we want to finish the job now and not waste what we did on Friday night. Nothing's changed since day one when the tournament started. The objective and the goal is the same and we have given ourselves a chance to do it. We are really looking forward to it and we'll have to be physically and mentally ready if we want to progress from the group. England have been heavily criticised in the media down south following the draw with Scotland on Friday night, but Hanley is unconcerned with the lack of respect that he and his teammates have received for their display. He is ignoring the outside noise ahead of one of the biggest games of his career and is determined to help the national side hit the heights which they did at Wembley once again. He said, we couldn't care less what they say. It's all about us. We don't care what people say about us. The real truth is within this camp, among the boys and the management staff. We know exactly how to look at ourselves properly and judge our performance. It goes without saying what this means to all of the boys. I have spoken in the past about what playing for my country means to me personally. It's a massive part of my career. I want to take every opportunity that I get to play for Scotland because it's a real honour for me every time I wear that shirt. To play at a major tournament for your country is what you dream about as a wee boy. But going into the games themselves, you need to have a clear mind. You can't get caught up in the occasion. You have to try and make the time go slowly, if that makes sense. I am very conscious of not letting this period pass me by. I really want to soak it all up and enjoy it. But ultimately, I want to do my best for Scotland. Report by Matthew Lindsay. Evening Times Sport, June 21. Scotland's Kim Little, honoured to be representing Great Britain at the Tokyo Olympics. Report by Susan Egglestaff. Kim Little knows from first-hand experience how monumental the Olympic Games is for both her as an individual and for her sport. Almost without exception, football is the be-all and end-all for everyone immersed in the world's most popular sport, 
But for two weeks next month, things will be different. Football will no longer be the only show in town, and Little is looking forward to being a small fish in a big pond for once. The 30-year-old is one of only two Scots included in the 18-strong Team GB squad for the Tokyo Olympics. The other is Caroline Weir, and Little admits she cannot wait to be a part of the biggest sporting event on the planet. She said, We have actually spoken about this as a team already. This is not just about football. It almost humbles football, the Arsenal midfielder says of the Olympic Games. As footballers, we can sometimes just be in our football bubble, but this is the biggest global sporting event there is, and so to be a part of it is a real privilege. Little is one of just four players who already have Olympic experience under their belts. Women's football was only introduced to the Olympic programme in 1996, but Team GB has only once before entered a team, at London 2012. Nine years ago, Little, along with England's Steph Houghton, Jill Scott and Ellen White, were all members of the squad who reached the quarter-finals and the Aberdeenshire native is well aware that her experience may have played a significant part in the decision of recently appointed head coach Hege Rees to include her this time around. She says, I have done it before, so I know what to expect. The Olympics is not like a normal football tournament, and our preparation will emphasise that. Firstly, this is not just about football, but from a football perspective, the games are in a much shorter space of time. So having been to London 2012, we know a bit more than some of the others what to expect. So I think selection might have been based on that a little bit. You need a balance between young players and those who have been there before. So I hope my experience is something I can bring. That Little and her compatriot Weir are headed to Japan at all is a result of a protracted and still not fully resolved tussle. With the home nations competing as separate entities at every other football tournament, the SFA has long been concerned that a combined team threatens their current status as a southern nation in FIFA's eyes. No men's team will travel to Tokyo, and while the SFA has not actively stood in the way of a women's team competing, neither are they actively supporting or promoting the side. However, Little, who has been a member of the Scotland squad for a decade and a half, amassing 139 caps in the process, does not believe Team GB's impending participation at the Olympics poses a significant threat to the future of Scotland. She insists, I wouldn't say that debate is in my mind. I have represented Scotland for 15 plus years, and I am so proud of that. But then I also get this opportunity to represent Great Britain, and that's a huge privilege too. It's massive having the opportunity to play at an Olympics. It's a huge thing for Caroline and die, but it also gives the sport a whole different platform for people to see who might not usually watch it. I know where the SFA stand, but we are able to have our own voice and our own freedom. I, personally, have never felt there's a threat to the Scotland team by having a GB Olympic team, but maybe it's different if you're in the SFA. For us on the park, we are not absorbing all the political stuff, which I guess is the nice thing about being a player. Little, who is fresh off the back of Arsenal's third place finish in the English Super League, and her GB teammates 
will take on Zambia in a friendly at Stoke City Stadium on the 1st of July, before heading to Tokyo, where they will play Chile in their opening game of the Olympics on the 21st of July, as well as Canada and host Japan in the group stages of the Games. Four times gold medalist USA are favourites to retain their Olympic title, which they lost to Germany in 2016, but little is optimistic GB can make a real mark. A first of a medal for the women's side would be a significant achievement for little personally, but also for the sport. And while she is too experienced to allow her mind to drift to thoughts of silverware for too long, she admits the target is top spot on the podium next month. She says, I don't think for too long about winning a medal, but it does cross my mind. We have had a few conversations as a squad about it. Of course it comes up, because that's why we're going to Olympics. There's only 12 teams in Tokyo, and if you want to aim, you aim high. And when you're in a squad as talented as the one GB has, you have to go in thinking you have a chance of winning the top prize. Report by Susan Egglestaff. And that was this week's Glasgow Times Sport podcast, normally recorded in our studio at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre currently recorded from our volunteers' homes with the publisher's kind permission. Thanks for listening.